Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all, all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Dear Father, I just pray that you... Um, Fill Steve with your spirit's power to speak the words that you want him to speak. And I pray that with power the words go out and help us all come closer to you. In your name, Lord Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Sometimes we know that something bad is about to happen. And it doesn't take much just to look out at the world and see, I don't like what I'm seeing and I don't like what's about to happen. In our world, there are all sorts of things for us to be afraid of and all sorts of things for us to look at and to feel fear. Whether that's the threat of nuclear warfare and what could happen with certain nations getting nuclear capability and what they may do with it. Whether it's certain viruses that seem to be spreading at the moment and the fear that surrounds COVID-19 as it's now called or the coronavirus as it seemed to be called last week. Whether it's threats of terrorism, whether it's threats of climate disaster and things that, uh, that we have brought upon ourselves and the way that we care for our world, there's always a threat. There's always a threat to us. There's always something that we can't do anything about, so it would seem, and pressure that falls upon us, threats to our world. And Jesus is standing at a place where he has been talking about a threat coming upon Jerusalem. Uh, a threat coming upon Jerusalem of um, terrible proportions. And what does Jesus say about these things? What does he say into a situation where people are standing with a uh, threat of dreadful things about to come upon them? Well, we've been looking at this last couple of weeks and Roger was sharing last week some of the things that Jesus was saying. Jesus is speaking into a context of Jerusalem about to be destroyed as he's making a prophecy that within a short period of time that there is going to be a destruction that is going to fall upon Jerusalem. The temple is going to be destroyed. The city is going to be destroyed. This happens, as I don't know if some of you, some of you know, happened in 70 AD. 
So a short period of time after Jesus spoke these words, within 40 years of Jesus speaking these words, the Roman army descended upon Jerusalem and destroyed the city, knocked down so much uh, under Titus. And there's a, a, an arch in Rome where you can go and see a depiction of this with various bits and pieces that were bits and pieces. Things that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem, including the menorah and other things being depicted as being carried out of the city. So this happened. Jesus is speaking about this disaster that's about to happen. Jesus predicted that these things would happen in verse 2. We looked at this a little while back. Then Jesus asked them, you see all of these things, don't you? Pointing to the temple that they just said looked beautiful and wonderful. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. And then the disciples asked Jesus, Two or three questions. They ask him this. Verse 3. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, so the other side of the valley, he's sitting on the top of the Mount of Olives and you can look over the valley and you can see the temple in front of you. It dominates the landscape as you look across. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will this be? When's it going to be that this temple is going to be destroyed? When's it going to be that this disaster is going to come upon us? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That's two or three questions, depending how you look at it. What's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? We've been looking at two things. The temple about to be destroyed and the coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming again with his return to earth, which is going to happen at the end of the age. So they're asking him those questions, assuming that they're related, really. Assuming that at the point that the temple is destroyed, that is surely the point that Jesus is coming back, isn't it? That's surely the point that there's the end of the world. They must be things that are related. And of course, we stand in a place, nearly 2,000 years later, when we know that the temple has been destroyed and Jesus hasn't come back yet. At least I haven't checked the BBC News app for a little bit, I can't see that there's any evidence that he's come back yet so as far as I know he hasn't come back yet so Jesus hasn't returned yet so we realize that those two points in history are very separate apart but maybe for the disciples they thought they were quite close to each other and Jesus has been talking about the threat of Jerusalem being destroyed and been doing that for most of the chapter and made references to his own coming with references to lightning flashes and things like that that we looked at last week this week the tone of the language changes slightly. Immediately after the suffering of those days, the sun will be, dis will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. So we're looking at a coming disaster. We're looking at a disaster the likes of which we have never seen. The magnitude of which we cannot imagine. Imagine what it's like, the sun being darkened, the moon not shining, and stars falling from heaven. Must be the end of the world, mustn't it? Can't be anything else. You know, it's, if the sun isn't shining, our holiday to somewhere warm is not going to be warm anymore. It will sort out climate change, that's for sure. 
But nothing will grow, nothing will happen, there'll be no energy left in this. Where's the future of the world if the sun isn't shining? The moon isn't giving its light at night, we're in trouble at night time too. And the stars starting to fall from the sky, that is the end of the world. And we will see in verse 30, the Son of Man coming on clouds. Paul in 1 Thessalonians talks a bit about this. And it's mentioned in the beginning of the book of Acts. Do you remember at the beginning of the book of Acts when Jesus ascends up into heaven? The angels appear to the disciples and say to them, just as you saw him going into the clouds, you will see him return. So he was going into heaven on the clouds and he will come back on the clouds. So we know Jesus is coming back to us on the clouds. And Paul tells us this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call and with the sound of God's trumpet will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air and we will be with the Lord forever. Beautiful picture of um, this idea that at the, when a visiting dignitary came to a city, when the emperor came to a city, what would happen is that the leading people of the city, the leading council members, the senators or the rulers of the city would exit the city and go and meet the emperor outside the city gates and escort the emperor into the city, through into the city gates and come with him into the city. And it's this picture of Jesus returning to the earth at the end of the age. And those of us who are dead will rise come back to life, there will be a resurrection and we will go up to meet Jesus in the clouds and escort him back to the earth. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture of what is going to happen at the end of the age. So surely that's what we're talking about here. The sun will be darkened, the moon won't give its light, the stars will fall from the heavens and the powers of the heaven will be shaken, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And for many people, we read this thinking, this is talking about the end of the world. Is this what's happening? Well, no, I don't think it is, actually. I don't think that's what it's talking about. I think it's talking about something else. And there are a few, and as Roger mentioned last week, uh, that I will be saying this. There are a few hints in this that it isn't actually talking about Jesus returning. Jesus is returning. We've just read that in the book of Acts. We've read it in 1 Thessalonians. Jesus is returning and returning on the clouds at the end of the age. But I don't think Jesus is talking about that here. And there's a few reasons for thinking that. The first one is... In verse 29, he says, immediately after the suffering of those days. It happens immediately after what he's just talked about. And what has he been talking about? Well, he was talking about various people coming to claim to be messiahs in verses 26 and 27 and onwards. If then anyone says to you, look, here is the messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and produce great signs and omens to lead astray if possible even the elect. Take note, I've said to you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or if they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. And there's this sense that as any disaster is looming, prophets rise up. People appear starting to say, listen to me, I'll tell you what should happen. Listen to me, I'll tell you how things should be. 
At the moment, we have prophets in our world. You don't need to look very far for prophets about Brexit. Even though Brexit is done, apparently, we still have prophets about Brexit and about what's going to happen with that. We have prophets all over the place about the virus that we are seeing and people saying, what's going to happen with that? People telling us, it's a disaster that's about to happen and other people saying, no, it won't be a disaster. And pundits and commentators all talking to us about it to help us to understand. We're hungry for that information. We feel powerless and we want somebody to give us more information about what's going to happen. Some people whip us up in our fear and other people try and calm us down. Whenever a disaster is about to happen, people rise up to try and comment into it. And Jesus is talking about it looks like Jerusalem is going to fall. It looks like Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. That is not something that comes out of the blue. It's not something that suddenly it's destroyed. You get a hint that it's about to happen because you see armies begin to descend upon the place. And for those with the ability, they can smell the political rebellion in the air for a year or so before that happens. People with sense can tell if we keep on like this, Rome are going to descend on us. If we keep treating Rome like this, they're going to come and try and destroy us. If we keep to... People can tell this for some time beforehand. In that gap, people come and speak. So Jesus is talking about people rising up to speak about things happening before Jerusalem gets destroyed. And there are some echoes of the language here. Immediately after the suffering of those days, Suffering is used back in verse 21. For at that time there will be great suffering. He's talking about the fall of Jerusalem at this point. At that time there will be great suffering, such as not been seen from the beginning of the world. And he also uses the phrase, those days. And in verses 19 and 22, the idea of those days comes up again. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing infants in those days verse 22 and if those days had not been cut short no one would be saved so that suffering he's talking about and those days that he's talking about were the point that Jerusalem was being destroyed okay so when he turns in verse 30 uh, verse 29 to say immediately after the suffering of those days he's saying immediately after Jerusalem being destroyed immediately after not 1,900 and whatever years after, immediately after. So the implication that he's now going on to talk about the return of his return to the earth doesn't seem quite right. He's talking about something that's happening in tandem with the fall of Jerusalem. And what's interesting here if he's told us about the suffering that people will, in, will happen and the, things that, the suffering that people are going to feel in the immediacy of the fall of Jerusalem, but he's never described the fall of Jerusalem. He's talked about the abomination of desolation, the thing that happens just beforehand, but he's never gone on to describe it yet, which is why I think a lot of this language here is not language talking about Jesus' return. It's talking about the fall of Jerusalem. Immediately after the prophets arise, immediately after the suffering begins, then the city will fall. And this is language to describe the fall of the city. Second thing to think about that is the kind of language that is used to describe it. The language of the sun being dark and the moon not giving its light is language drawn from the Old Testament. For people soaked in the language of the Old Testament, you pick up that Old Testament language 
for those of us who don't know our Old Testament quite so well, we don't pick up on that language. In fact, we pick up on something else. For somebody that is soaked in what is happening in football at the moment, what is happening to Manchester City or the lead that Liverpool have got, you just need to mention a couple of names of certain people who play for Liverpool or managers or people that have been involved in stuff in Manchester City and everybody knows what you're talking about if you follow football. If you don't follow football, you have no idea. No idea what's being said. If Debbie says, the house party is going to be good, come. Those of us that were at the last one who know how good it was will know what she means and know how good it's going to be and want to come. The rest of us who weren't will be thinking, good, okay, it's going to be good. But we don't quite know because we don't have, it doesn't spark something within us of a memory. Does that make sense? Sometimes a memory comes, which is why sometimes when we talk to people about things, Christian things, we talk about salvation. We talk about being filled with the Lord. We talk about praying for revival. People look at us and go, what? Because they don't speak our language. They don't know the things that we're talking about. Does that make sense? Sometimes if we talk the language, we know what people are talking about. If we don't talk about the language, we don't know what people are talking about and miss what's happening. This is, for us, the sun being darkened, the moon not giving its light, stars falling from heaven. This is language of the end of the earth because we've watched too many Avengers movies. Yeah? We've watched Avengers movies when we see this kind of stuff happening because somebody clicks their fingers. That's what it means to us. We've watched too many other films about the end of the world. We've watched too many things about, the, about apocalypses and that kind of stuff. We're soaked in that kind of imagery. So that's what it means to us. It means the end of the earth. But it's drawn from the Old Testament and it's drawn in particular from two passages in the book of Isaiah. It's drawn from this passage here in Isaiah, chapter 13, verse 10. For the stars of heaven and Orion and all the ornament of heaven will not give light and it will be dark when the sun rises and the moon will not give its light. Do you know what Isaiah is talking about at that point? The end of the world? He's actually talking about the destruction of the city of Babylon. It's metaphor. It's metaphorical language that if you are living in Babylon, it pretty much seems like the sun has stopped shining because there's smoke and there's dust everywhere. It pretty much seems like the stars are falling from the sky or the the heavenly luminaries aren't shining. Let me show you the other one. Heaven shall roll up like a scroll and all the stars shall fall like leaves from a vine. And as leaves fall from a fig tree, Isaiah 34, verse 4. What's that talking about? The end of the world? No, it's talking about judgment on nations, particularly the nation of Edom. It's metaphor. It's picture language. Not to describe the end of the world, but to describe things happening in the world. Not to describe the end of time, but to describe things that are happening in time. We do this. We use this kind of language. Has anybody been around when something truly earth-shattering happened? Was the earth shattered? No. Somebody just told you that they were getting married. (laughs) It was earth-shattering, but you know, the earth is still fairly intact after they revealed that they're getting married. The sky fell in. 
It's the end of my world. The sun just doesn't shine anymore. We use this kind of metaphor all the time. to Why? Because it describes the depth of despair in which we feel. My world has come to an end. The sun isn't shining anymore for me. It doesn't matter. Or it's earth-shattering. It's the most amazing thing and the world has just been blown apart. My world has been blown apart. There's another one. We use this kind of language, don't we? And we know what we mean by it. I heard some earth-shattering news. How are you still standing up? Exactly the same in the biblical world. They would use this language of sun, moon and stars to describe something happening in the world, a thing of terrible proportions. And the destruction of the whole of the city of Jerusalem is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Third thing is the setting that it has in the book, or in Matthew chapter 24. It keeps talking about in those days. When we get down to verse 36, it changes. But about that day and hour, no one knows. And then goes on to tell parables about the return of Jesus. So there's a change in subject at that point. These days, these days, these days, fall of Jerusalem. That day, that's beginning to talk about when Jesus returns. There's also the issue of timing. I read out what happens in that day in verse 36, the time when Jesus returns. About that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only the Father knows when Jesus is returning. No one else knows. What does Jesus say about the sun, moon and stars darkening? He says this. He says we can predict it. Verse 32. From the fig tree, hence the picture up on the screen, Learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things, you know that he is near or that it is near at the very gates. Has anybody seen snowdrops out recently? Or daffodils in the park? I was walking through the park on the way here this morning. There's daffodils out. Anybody heard the birds singing? Spring is nearly here, you know. It doesn't look like it in a bit of this storm, but spring is nearly here. In fact, as I look out the window, I can see raindrops on the, on the twigs, but I think I can see buds on some of the twigs as well. There are buds there. Spring is about to happen. And sometimes you can see things and know something is about to happen. And Jesus is saying, these events, the sun, moon and stars falling, you know they're about to happen when you see certain political things begin to happen. You'll know it's about to happen. Whereas with Jesus' return, who knows when it's going to happen? It's going to happen so suddenly, no one knows. So he's talking about the fall of the temple in Jerusalem. Here's a picture of the temple in the modern day. That wall up there, up to roundabout, uh, what can I do? Maybe I could see if I can do it this way. No, I can't do it. Can I do it this way? Yeah, that wall up to about here, that's the original wall that was there in Jesus' day. The stuff above there is the new mosque that has been built by uh, the Muslim people that are within it. But this wall here is still wall that was there in Jesus' day. And these stones down here 
are the stones that were cast down to the ground at the point that the temple was destroyed, the temple in Jerusalem. Which is why this wall here is one of the most sacred places for Jews as they gather there to pray and wail and weep against that wall because that is the wall that was the foundation of the temple in Jesus' day. So it's part of it is still there, but the rest of it was thrown down and you can still see the stones as they were thrown down at the bottom there. Jesus is talking about this event an event that is so catastrophic and so terrible. Jesus, in his trial, was accused of speaking against it. In Jesus' trial, they said, this fellow, in other words, Jesus said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. So when Jesus is put on trial, it's because of speaking about the fall of the city. And it happened. Why? Why? It's important we think for a moment about why the temple was destroyed and why the city was destroyed. In part, politically, it's happening because the Jews in Jesus' day are behaving in certain ways that are annoying the Romans and are going in a particular way about doing things. And Jesus is saying, follow my way. Follow the Jesus way. And you're behaving in a righteous way in the world and it won't be winding up the Romans. But they behaved in a particular way, a particular um, way of rebellion, a particular zealous way, and the Romans got annoyed with it and actually came down a throw down the city. That's the political side of it. But there's a God's side to it too. In the Old Testament, there were many places where the Old Testament prophets warned them that they would go into exile and the temple and the city would be destroyed. Beginning part of Isaiah parts of those many of the other prophets just need to read them and see what they say so Jesus is echoing the kind of things that they warned about it's Jew warning Jew this is not an anti-Jew thing this is a Jew warning other Jews that if we keep following this path and being disobedient to God then judgment is going to fall upon us we have to follow what God is calling us to do and what was happening in these days Jesus was there And people were paying no attention to Jesus. In fact, worse than that, when Jesus went into the temple and turned over the money changers' tables, he said, this place is a den of robbers. By that he's saying, echoing the language of Jeremiah, he's saying, this is the kind of place where bandits hang out. Bandits hang out in a den. And when bandits are in their den, bandits feel safe. They feel safe in their den because it's a place where they're protected. They feel safe in their den because the law can't touch them. They feel safe in their hideout because no one can get to them. They can do whatever they like in the world and retreat back to their den and they are safe. Jesus referred to the temple as a den of bandits, the place where the leaders of the Jewish people hide out thinking, we're safe here because this is God's temple. We're safe here because this is the place where heaven meets earth. We're safe here because this is where God is. We're safe here because this is the place where we offer our sacrifices. We're safe here and we can do whatever we like. Jesus is saying, no, you are not. God says you're not behaving in a right way. And killing Jesus is the ultimate mark of that as they rebel against who God is. So, What do I want to say in this part that is all quite downbeat and all quite depressing? I want to say this. Let's search our hearts this morning just to see if there are places where we are not paying attention to the fresh things that God is doing in Jesus. Sometimes there are things that we are so used to doing that we run and hide in them 
because we think that we're safe in that place, safe in familiarity, safe doing things our way, safe doing things the way we've always done them. God is bringing a prophetic word and we'll ignore that prophetic word because I don't feel safe with that and it's calling me to go into a new place where I shouldn't be going. I'm not saying that God's calling down condemnation upon you. I'm just saying that there come places where God is doing something fresh and it's right that we follow the fresh thing that God is doing. God is bringing a revelation in Jesus and it's right that we follow after that. God is doing something new. Just because we've done something the same way for decades doesn't it mean that it's the way that we should be doing things now. Sometimes God's something fresh for us. A fresh way to reach into the community. A fresh way to bless people. A fresh way to do things. And let's embrace that. Let's look at the second thing. The coming of the Son of Man. He goes on in the next verse, verse 30, to say, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. This is talking about the Son of Man. It's the phrase that... What phrase did Jesus use to describe himself most often? Son of Man. It's Jesus' favourite phrase to describe himself. He calls himself the Son of Man. It's language that's drawn from the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel. In Daniel 7 it says, I was watching in the night visions... And lo, as it were, a son of man was coming on the clouds of heaven, and he came as far as the ancient of days, that's God, and the attendants were present with him, and royal authority was given to him, and all the nations of the earth according to posterity, and all honour was serving him, and his authority is an everlasting authority, which will never be removed, and his kingship which will never perish. People see him coming. Most people think that this is talking about Jesus returning to earth, But I've already said that that doesn't tie in with the timing of all of these things. And many other people think that actually what's happening here is that this is Jesus approaching God's throne on a kind of enthronement, a kind of coronation day where Jesus is received to to sit at the right hand of the Father. And as he does that, the Father is saying, everything Jesus said is true. Everything Jesus said is right. Every prophecy that Jesus uttered is real. And as you see the temple destroyed, people begin to realize that Jesus must be enthroned. I think there's more to it than that. I think this is language of Jesus coming to save people. Jesus sending angels to gather everyone. Did you spot that in verse 31? And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. In Jesus' day, there was an awareness that people were scattered throughout the whole of the earth and were logging that there would come a point when everyone would be brought back together. And the Jews were looking for a point in the Jewish prophecies that there would come a point when the nations and the Jews that were scattered would come to the temple again and worship God. And when those that weren't even Jews, that those that didn't even know the Lord from other nations would come to Jerusalem to worship in the temple and saying, God is God. And what it's saying here is, that has now begun in Jesus. Many of us in this room, we're not Jews, are we? We're Gentile. And we've been gathered in to God because of Jesus. Many people from different parts of the world are gathered in. Why? Because of Jesus. And the gathering has begun in Jesus, not because of the temple. The temple is no longer the place to meet with God. 
The place to meet with God is Jesus. Isn't it in him that we meet with God? Isn't it him that we're forgiven and our sins are cleansed? It says that Jesus comes with power and great glory. Language that often evokes the idea of military might and military power. God the warrior coming. God the warrior coming. Jesus is God the warrior on the march, coming with power and glory, descending upon the earth, coming to war. In the words, coming to declare that he is bringing war to all those things that are evil and oppressed against humanity. All the evil and all of the sin and all of the wrongfulness that is stacked up against humanity to set us free. And he has already come. He is already coming. This coming is in the process of happening now. We are seeing it around us as we are all here and being saved. Jesus is the one who saves us. Jesus is the one who brings... We can see a sign up in heaven. Okay, maybe not as bright as seeing a heart shape up in the heaven, but I think it's referring to Jesus unfurling his banner. It's the banner of Jesus that we see. It's the sign of Jesus. It's his triumphal banner as he's come, marching to the earth and bringing salvation to the whole of humanity. That is where salvation comes. And we see that because of Jesus and because of the life that he brings. Jesus alone is the saviour, not the temple, not the patterns of the past. The temple being destroyed does not matter, actually, because salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And not locally, but globally. Not for the Jews only, for everyone. Sometimes there's only one way out of a difficult situation. If you fall into a ditch, you're grateful for the friend with a ladder. And for humanity, we're grateful for our Lord Jesus, who is the only one that can get us out of the ditch that we've fallen into. And he comes with all of the might of heaven to descend upon this world and to bring us freedom and salvation and setting free. And how does he do that? It's through his death upon the cross. Then the tribes of the earth will mourn. Again, this is Old Testament language, Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour out a spirit of compassion and supplication on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that, here we go, when they look on the one they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. Because they know that they are looking upon the one that they have pierced. Humanity looking upon the one that we have pierced. So I just want to say this morning, wherever we are, whatever state we find ourselves in, wherever we find ourselves, there's only one way to be saved and there's only one way to be rescued and that is Jesus. It's not through organised religion. It's not by obeying a certain code. It's not by coming to a certain place. It's not by anything else. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus who cares for us enough, who relates to us enough, who loves us enough to come with the whole armies of heaven to set us free. So what place are you in this morning? Where are you? Look to heaven. Look to heaven because help is coming. The cavalry is coming. The saviour is coming. He is coming for you. He has come for you. His banner is unfurled. There are armies in his wake. He's coming to set us free. And Don't let this morning pass. Whatever situation you're in, do not let this morning pass. Let the Lord come and bring you healing.
And the final thing I want to say. Some things don't remain forever. Even beautiful fast cars don't remain forever. They destroy, they rust, they fall apart. This building that we're in is the church that Dietrich Bonhoeffer ministered in. That's why it's called the Bonhoeffer Church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a very famous German pastor, ministered here before the war. But this isn't the building that he was in. That building was destroyed and this was built after the war. The cinema in Forest Hill isn't a cinema anymore, it's a Weatherspoons pub. The McDonald's where the Forest Hill congregation youth used to hang out is now a gym. And the Crystal Hall where we used to meet is now being covered in gilded cover and gold all across the front. Anybody notice that down by the station? Things change. Nothing lasts. The way we speak changes. The way we do things change. We sung Shine Jesus Shine this week for the first time in ages. We used to sing that every week. The worship songs we sing change. Sometimes for the better. (laughs) And sometimes for the very much better. No, Things change. On a cosmic level, that is true too. The temple was understood as the meeting point of heaven and earth, the place where God dwelt amongst humanity. There was symbolism in the temple, full of cosmic symbolism. The curtain that separated the holy and the most holy place had symbolism of the heavens upon it, and stars and all these sorts of things on there to represent the whole of the cosmos. This was the place where the whole cosmos was distilled into one place as God met with heaven and earth in this place. It represented the whole of the universe in Jewish understanding. And it's destroyed. It is destroyed. And as we see that cosmos, that microcosmon, that microcosmos destroyed, it's a picture that the whole of the cosmos can be destroyed. Nothing is permanent in that cosmos, apart from one thing that Jesus says. Verse 31. He will send out the angels with a loud trumpet. No, that's not the verse I wanted. I wanted verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So what Jesus has said, that lasts forever. Jesus' love that he's uttered over us, that lasts forever. Jesus' commitment to us lasts forever. Jesus' forgiveness over us lasts forever. The promises that he's made, they last forever. He's calling of us as he's called us to follow him. That lasts forever. Jesus' words remain. Let's pray together. Lord, as we find ourselves in uncertain times, we know that's not anything new for you. The world has often been uncertain and had uncertainty, but we look to you as our certain one. And whatever stresses and pressures we are up against at the moment, we look to you, our eternal Lord, 
and pray, would you come and save us? Would you come and rescue us? And help us to hold on to your word, which persists beyond all things, beyond death, beyond separation. Your word persists and your promises to us are true and we trust them. And give us a greater love for your promises and trust in your promises, we ask. And Lord, we pray, would you come this morning among us? Would you come to bring salvation for us this morning, we ask? Come to set us free. Lord, as we each lift situations to you now, we pray, come and set us free. As we each lift ourselves to you this morning, we pray, come and liberate us and set us free, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen.